Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Devo with Pat and Jamie. We are happy that you could be here with us. And today we get a chance to go over what verse is it, Patrick? Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. What a specific answer. 36 through 50. I, I have it open in front of me. So it's one full story. Way to be prepared. Now, Patrick, when you were in high school, were you the kid who was like front row prepared with like your book already open? No, I was back row, forgot my book at home, uh, <laughs> like scrolling through Spark Notes as quick as possible kind of kid. Okay. <laughs> okay. So things, times have changed. Yeah. You were a new creation. I, you could <laughs> say that. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Cool, man. So uh, we've uh, been listening to the sermon at church here and um, had a chance to hear some uh, thoughts about this. Also studied this earlier in the week. So a uh, neat passage, pretty um, well-known passage by a lot of people who have read the scripture. And um, I'm excited to read it up today. Pat, you want to read it or you want me to read it? I can read it since I am All here right. and I'm prepared. <laughs> All right, Pat, go ahead. Here we go. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. If you're following along on your phone or with your printed Bible, uh, verse 36, the woman anoints Jesus. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Is that how you say that? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Moving on. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. This is one of the, uh, in my opinion, more awkward stories. Yeah, I was just about to say, I can't imagine 
witnessing this play out in real life? No, not at all. Right. So a couple of things that I think, you know, maybe we don't kind of get or we don't see in our perspective, but maybe even then, I mean, I don't know a ton about that particular era and exactly what, uh, you know, culturally was appropriate and what wasn't. But even in the context of the story, we can hear and understand that there's some things going on that like don't seem appropriate. So like, First of all, when you're at a table, you're not sitting in a chair. So they didn't have chairs. So it wasn't like Jesus was sitting on a throne and uh, and the lady came up to his feet. He was most likely reclining on his side with his feet kind of sticking away from the table. Um, so, like, she wasn't even really that close to the table. She was a full Jesus length away from the table because that's how far he would have been uh, from from that. So she's kind of like in like the second tier of what's happening. Right. So there's all the people around the table. They're like first level important people. And then kind of going back, you know, you have folks who are, who are heading further back, uh, and she's there at Jesus feet. So that's one thing that kind of maybe in our heads, we can get a better image of what's going on. Um, the other thing is in this day, when you went into someone's house, a servant typically would, would wash people's feet. This is like, if you're going to get a dinner party together and it was like kind of well off people, uh, you would have someone who like kind of had the worst job in the entire place. Like they had to scrub people's feet. Um, now that sounds weird, right? Like I, when was the last time you washed someone's feet? I, I can remember. I do know last time I washed someone else's feet. Was it like ceremonial or was it like legitimately they needed their feet washed? It was ceremonial. It was when okay. I used to uh, work at my old church and for a worship service, we did a, a, a feet washing, foot washing service. And yeah. I was one of the washers because I was the youth person. Okay. All right. So it's like, Hey, we're going to do this. I always have a hard time with that, by the way. Um, just because like, it's just weird, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. I'll, I'll tell you this, though. Like, my kids my kids are getting older now, but especially when they're really little, uh, they would have a bath, and, you, have to, you know, they're in the tub, and, like, they didn't do a great job of, like, washing their own feet because they're kids, and they also run around all over the place, so they're pretty dirty. So you kind of have to, like, wash their feet. Yeah. And you can wash a ki- kid's feet in, like, no time at all or whatever, but there's something interesting about feet that, you know, they're the thing that touches the ground if you're not wearing shoes, so they get the dirtiest. So there's a practical aspect. Like, I don't know, in a lot of people's houses, um, there is this kind of reality where you are supposed to take your shoes off before you walk in the house. Are you a shoes-off house, Patrick? Uh, we try to be. <laughs> okay, so not like a hard and fast rule, but like... If you're going to be home for a while, we take our shoes off, but... If I left and then realized, oh, I forgot my phone, I'd run in, grab it. I'm not going to take my shoes off for that. Okay. So uh, down a couple um, doors down from us, there's a family, and they're like very hardcore shoes off family. And so their little kid, when he was five, he would come over to our house, and he would kick his shoes off before he would come in. And he then would run out and put them on and then run in and kick them off. And like, it was like, there was this invisible line. You did not cross with those shoes on, man. (laughs) There's no way. 
And he saw me once walk into my house with my shoes on, and he freaked out. Oh my he's gosh! Like, what are you? He's like, "What are you? Do- what are you doing? You can't do that! You can't do that!" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I can't. It's my house. I did." But it's true though. If you wear your shoes into your house, like your house starts to get pretty like dirty yeah. because of it. Your carpets will get dirty, and it's just kind of the way it works. So back then, uh, you have only dirt roads, uh, maybe some like kind of you know stone roads, but uh, pretty much people are in dirt all the time. There's like animal poop everywhere. Uh, it's not super clean and people are walking in it and they're walking in it in sandals, right? This is like rainbows all the time. Uh, that sounds like my normal day life slash the dream Uh, slash the dream. And people who wear sandals all day long typically have pretty dirty feet because your feet are exposed. Yeah. So having someone wash someone's feet back then was a pretty normal thing to do. Um, from a practical standpoint, but also from a ceremonial standpoint, because there was something about all these cleanliness laws that came out of the Old Testament uh, where people felt that you had to be spiritually um, and ceremonially cleansed in order to um, do spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And so this is a sign where, I mean, we see in this story where people are are noticing that there's a spiritual reality going on here. This isn't just about like actual feet washing. We see from the first line, one of the Pharisees is the person who invites Jesus to have dinner with him. This is a rule keeper, right? Yeah. He he he's doing what he's doing. This woman it says who's lived a sinful life. I don't know if you know people who have that reputation. Not personally i um, mean but maybe like even maybe even in high school there's like there's always that one person you're like oh yeah that person like does bad stuff yeah right? yeah okay yeah i can so like, a few names come to mind yeah or that person is you know the one who has a super bad reputation. You don't want to hang out with them because, yep. you know, it's, it's the kind of kid that, like, your parents won't let you hang out with. So <laughs> in this verse, um, we have an interesting thing happening, right? Verse 39, the Pharisee sees, uh, or when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to, him, to himself. So he didn't even say this out loud. This is just going on in his head. Right. If this guy were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. So in his head, he's like, if this guy even knew anything, he wouldn't let this woman touch his feet. Well, and this guy is probably double a little irritated because he's the host. So Jesus is in his home and this random woman who is known out in the community as a sinner shows up. That also is probably a little embarrassing for the Pharisee. It's like, why is she here? And then for him to think that, yeah, it totally makes sense is like questioning Jesus. Well, he should know better. Right. He should. I mean, especially if he has this ability to heal people and prophets, like he shouldn't allow this to happen. So the guy's thinking like that Jesus is not either doesn't know what he's doing um, 
or that he can't control the situation. What's ironic is that the opposite is happening, right? Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Jesus even knows what's going on in his heart, which is the freaky part, right? So he's thinking this, and the last thing he's thinking, verse 39, is that she is a sinner. And all of a sudden, I love how it says this too, Jesus answered him. (laughs) How does Jesus answer someone's thought? Like, that's crazy to me, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now, imagine being the host just for a moment. You know, all of this emotions, angry, like, you know, probably fuming, just thinking like, oh my, gritting his teeth, thinking, oh my gosh, like, why is this happening? And then like the people that are there with you, Jesus responds to your thoughts. Oh man, I don't know what I'd be so shocked and probably embarrassed as well. Uh, yeah, like for sure. So (laughs) it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So Jesus answered him and I'm just looking this up right now. The, the word for answer in the Greek here, it's to answer to reply. Um, and it actually has kind of an origin or root in the word to judge or to pass judgment on. Oh. So <laughs> isn't that kind of weird? So Jesus so was like kind Jesus, of judging back. Well, yeah. I mean, you could kind of read that into the language here. Um, uh, yeah. You could kind of read it into into that a little bit. That might be a, kind of a stretch or whatever. But uh but yeah, so Simon and he and the crazy thing is he calls him by name, right? We don't we don't necessarily hear the name, but he full on like calls him by his name. Simon, I have something to tell you. Ooh. Oh gosh. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, teacher, right? So he's calling him teacher. That's a good sign. That means he kind of trusts Jesus, or at least he's given that, you know, kind of given that uh idea. And then he tells him this story, right? Crazy, crazy little story. Now, let's go back to the awkwardness of the feet wiping, right? So she's crying. Why is she crying? That's a great question, I think, here for us. I, you know, I think that if I had the opportunity to, like, go down on my hands and knees and wash Jesus's feet, I would probably cry out of emotion, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, the opportunity to get to do that, um, is, is priceless. It's everlasting. Um, it's very, very unique. You know, she had a, what an opportunity to go and do that. Um, I think I would cry out of emotion. Yeah. And this wasn't, you know, some of this we look at and we see it as like a spontaneous act. Um, but she's planned out in this, right? So it's like, she shows up to this she figures out a way to, you know, get into this Pharisee's house, which she probably has never been invited to. Um, and she brings with her this alabaster jar of perfume. Now, this story is similar to that of uh, three other stories in Scripture. Um, however, there's a lot of debate as to if it's two different stories. Yeah. Uh, this particular one is different in that um, it's happening earlier in the ministry of Jesus. The other one is in the last week of his life. Um, it, Mary is named in um, the others. This one, there's no name to it. So a lot of commentators just looking at that have said, this is not the exact same as the other anointing. Hmm. Some have just said, oh yeah, we think it's the same. It's just some of the details are different. Um, I, I kind of lean towards maybe it being a little bit different. Um, 
because the details are considerably different. However, if we look to the other stories to see about a jar of perfume and what that would mean, um, some have, uh, you know, you can look at this whole like jar of pure nard is what it's called in this other one, uh, which is just a funny word to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a little awkward. The story just keeps getting more and more awkward. But um, it's worth like a ton of money. Yeah, like probably their entire uh, life savings. It's like their their bank, right. their bank account. Ex- exactly, right? And and there's a lot of speculation as to why would someone have this? What was it for? And trying to like play a lot into it. Um, I haven't really read anything that's like super convincing one way or the other, but the one thing that is pretty like normal or uh, everyone pretty much says is this is worth a ton of money. Right. I've read I've read a few things about the the jar as well and one thing that I read is in those times women would wear the jar around their neck and it was yeah. so valuable that even on like the Sabbath day that they were allowed to be to be wearing that jar all of their their wealth right. around their neck so it's right. for her this woman it's probably everything that she owns it's worth all of the money that she has and um, it's very close to her heart physically hanging around her neck all the time. So there's right. like a heart connection there. Yes. Yeah. So it's connected to your heart. It's the thing that you value the most. Mm-hmm. And she brings the thing that she values the most to Jesus. And with without like delay or without um, pause or without even asking she takes this jar and anoints his feet with it, um, which is a pretty incredible thing, right? So it's like she's she's putting this on his feet. She's not even anointing. You know, typically when you would anoint someone, you'd anoint their head. Um, it might be more a ceremonial thing. It'd be like a little bit. It wouldn't be a whole lot, uh, especially with perfume. But she doesn't just wash his feet because that was like step one. It's like you should wash someone's feet when they come into your house, she washes them, but it's with her tears. It's with her very like personal, intimate, her tears. What's yeah. funny is tears are actually super cleansing. Did you know that? Isn't that <laughs> no. weird? Yeah. yeah. Like there's, there's, I, 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 again, all the scientists out there, all, all you biologists and doctors and whatever, they all know this stuff. I've just read a couple little things on it, but, um, our tears actually are, are, healthy and helpful because they're able to wash away um, all sorts of stuff that's in our eyes and they have some special properties to them as well. So it's kind of a cool thing of thinking about what is actually cleansing in this moment is the cleansing thing. um, Like her actual heart, her tears is what's cleansing her, right? It's not, this expensive perfume. It's not this gift, but the cool thing is that all of those are working together. Right. So it's like, you know, there's a verse that says that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also here. We have an example of this woman's heart is with Jesus. And I would consider this, this act of repentance, right? Her heart is with Jesus and her treasure is also completely in line. The problem though, is this guy, Simon, who his actions, like his his um, his right actions, are in line, but his heart is not in line. Hmm. And I don't know where his money is. 
doesn't necessarily <laughs> tell us where his money is. And, and maybe Jesus is, you know, maybe Jesus has some words for him at that point too. But, but we hear these stories of people who come to Jesus and they might be missing something. Like they, their whole heart is for Jesus, but maybe their money is not right. Or their money is, but maybe their heart is not right. Yeah. This woman, all of it is with Jesus because she's been forgiven so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think her heart was with Jesus even before she showed up to the Pharisee's house. She, something inside of her was saying, you need to go and do this. And I think from that moment that she realized that, she would, that's, I think it was that moment that her sins were forgiven. You know, she went and acknowledged that in a, in a physical way out in the community, um, where very publicly, which must've been hard because of the title that she had of sinner, but it was definitely like a work of God in her heart before this. And, and it's, it it is, you know, uh, an incredible thing to see that something has transpired in her life when she encountered Jesus. And we're not seeing the moment of transformation. I think you're right. I think what we're seeing is this expression of faith. And so for a lot of us, like in our own, our own lives, when we have a moment where we decide we want to turn back to Jesus or turn to Jesus for the first time in our lives, and it, it becomes so clear and it's crystal clear. That's great. And then a lot of times after that, usually within a short amount of time, we have some sort of a public profession of faith or some kind of a way where we are trying to show gratitude to God yeah. for what he's done. So a lot yeah. of people that might be, um, you know, at camp, sometimes kids will stand up and say, I want to put my uh, trust in Jesus or I want to give my life to the Lord or uh, maybe... Um, at church, we see people will, will be baptized because uh, they want to profess their faith. And it's a big deal for them. It's an important deal for them. And I'm, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, but it's not necessarily the moment of transformation. So verse 47 is pretty cool. It says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Um, and then it says, as her great love has shown. Now, here's what's cool about that verse is... Her sins have been forgiven, but it's not because she gave Jesus expensive perfume or because she cried at his feet or because she wiped his hair. What it's saying here is her sins have been forgiven and these acts of love are showing that, right? These acts of love are showing that she's been forgiven. Yeah. So maybe a question for everyone out there is by your actions, are you showing that you are living a life that is a life of being forgiven. And that's kind of hard to conceptualize in our heads, but the idea is this, if you've been forgiven so much, you are going to go out there and forgive others in a big way. You're going to have this like over the top love for Jesus, for his forgiveness and for other people. And that's like a pretty amazing way to live. Yeah. Right. And then at the end, Jesus again kind of says this. He says, your sins are forgiven. He, he tells her that, right? Now, here's what's cool. Jesus has already declared her sins are forgiven in verse 47. And he says they have been forgiven. And then verse 48, he says it to her straight up. Your sins are forgiven. That's so cool. And I think, he, I think she already knew her sins were forgiven, but I think he says it so that these other guests and other people can see that and can hear that. Yeah. And then Jesus says to her again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is, this is like something that I believe that I believe pretty, uh, pretty big is that it is our faith 
that saves us, right? It's not our actions. It's not our bank accounts. It's not our, um, our, our goodwill. It's not that we do more, more good than bad. Faith how much in we Jesus pray. Christ, how much we pray, how much of the Bible have we read? Uh, it's just straight up to what Jesus says to the woman. Your faith has, ha- has saved you. If we have faith in Jesus Christ to save us, to forgive us our sins, man, that's what does it. Yeah. Cause it's all God's work. Right. So I think this is just kind of a beautiful story of transformation and, uh, glad that we could, we could look at it, um, together today. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening to the one youth Devo coming up, uh, on Wednesday, we'll have one youth live and another devotional. And then on Friday, we'll have a podcast for you to listen to. And I hope you all have a great week. See you later.